This morning, um, and for the month of January and the beginning of February, we're going to be doing a series on a better way. And a better way is we want to think about the new year thinking, hey, you know, we do that with resolutions, right? How many, how many of you made resolutions? You're going to exercise more? How many of you are in the exercise more thing? Good luck on that. Uh, how many of you are the eating better person? Yeah, double good luck on that. Um, I hope you have resolutions spiritually as well, but um, we want to think as we begin the new year about a better way to engage in our relationship with God. And our source for that is going to be from the Gospel of John in the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. I want to encourage you right now to begin to memorize those first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. It is something good to put in your brain. We'll talk about it over the next several weeks and bring out some specific portions of it and what it teaches about what God does in us and the better way that that makes for us because of what God does. But I want to encourage you, put the word in your brain. And this John 1 passage, all all God's word is good to put in your brain. But this one has some specific truths that are very helpful to us. So this morning we're reading from John 1 um, verse 1. And then we'll also be reading from John 17, 20 through 23. A little later on in John's gospel. So if you want to put your finger in both of those portions, let's pray for God's blessing on our time of learning and growing. Father... We pray that uh, in this new year that we seek the better way that you offer to us in Jesus Christ. And through your work, Lord, the way that you have made known to us, that we may pursue it and experience more the fullness of life. We might flourish. Things might grow in us that are of you. Love might grow. Grace, hope, peace, shalom. That those things might be closer and dearer to our hearts and manifest themselves in our everyday lives. Father, we, that we may grow. In seeking your better way, we may grow. Grow not only in our relationship with you, but then how we take that love that you've given us in Jesus Christ and offer it to the world around us. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do and we pray that you do it today. In Jesus' name we pray and God's people said together. Amen. So in your Bibles, uh, we're going to read John 1, uh, and we'll read the first portion of that. We'll read through John John 1, 1 through 5. We're going to concentrate on John 1, 1, and then we'll flip over really quickly to John 17, 20 through 23 from God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And from John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is uh, arrested and crucified. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Not all of them, that, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 
May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, after... 2015, how many of you are looking forward to a better year? I know I am. Really hoping that things are better this year. Personally, things, uh, things have been really great in a lot of ways for me and my family, uh, the work that I do, the people I work with. But in terms of the world that I look around at, boy, things need to get better and they need to get better soon. Uh, in fact, I don't know how many of you, how many of you know the name of Matt Barnes? Anybody know the name Matt Barnes? Matt Barnes is a basketball player. He used to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. And he now plays for the Memphis Grizzly, Grizzlies. And as people do sometimes, when the New Year changed, he went on to Twitter and sort of shared his thoughts. Unfortunately, too many people do that sometimes. But he shared his thoughts and he said basically in his Twitter for the New Year, he said, good riddance to 2015. I'm done with it. It was one of the worst years of my life. Hello, 2016. Now, admittedly, he had gotten into an altercation with his ex-wife and her new boyfriend. He had been arrested a couple times, I think. He had been in trouble with the NBA for a number of different things. But he said, I need something better in 2016. And although hopefully you haven't experienced incarceration or a fight with your ex-wife's boyfriend, we all in many ways look for a better year ahead, some better things to happen. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series. We want a better way. We always want a better way, but even as we begin a new year, it becomes a good highlight for us. What is, what is going to be better, and how do we move towards what is better in this new year? And so for us to think together for several weeks here, out of God's Word, John chapter 1, about what better way we can move towards, but understanding it in this light... If it's just about you and me pursuing a better way, ourselves, then I don't have a whole lot of hope for 2016. Because I know what sort of goofball I am. And because I'm such a goofball, I'm going to mess it up. I need something that is a better way that doesn't have its source in me. And when we look at John chapter 1, we have a better way offered to us, not because of what we do, but because of what God does and what God has already done. Some truths that we can grab onto and say in, that can speak into our lives and give us a better way to live. This morning's truth, and you can write it right at the top, Here's this morning's truth. The message in one sentence. God is God and you are not. And that's really good. That's this morning's message in a nutshell. 
God is God, you are not, and that's really good. So we have this passage from John 1 that we're going to spend time with. And in a moment, I'll, I'll share with you some things from there. But why John 1, 1? And if you look at John chapter 1, the first 18 verses, you see it looks a little bit different, right? It's a little bit of a different text of Scripture. It doesn't describe where Jesus went with his disciples and the things that they did. It doesn't say the things that Jesus said or the things that he did in terms of the day-to-day activities. That starts a little later on, and we, we call that narrative. The other text or the rest of the gospel is a narrative type of text. John 1, 1 through 18, is a different type of text. It's actually what we call a different genre. And I'm going to give you a nice theological word that you can take away from this. You can also write this down. It's not in your outline, but it's a helpful word. John 1, 1 through 18 is a polemic. It's a polemic. P-O-L-E-M-I-C. And you can look it up on your smartphones. And if you have Google on your smartphones, it will say this. That it is a strongly worded argument against another viewpoint. And John 1, 1 through 18 is a polemic. And it's a polemic actually in a very similar line to another passage of scripture that we are all familiar with. If you want a hint about what that other passage is, look at the first three words of John 1 chapter, or verse 1. What are those three words? So if we call this a polemic, what other passage might be a polemic? Genesis 1 beginning at verse 1. Both of them are polemics. Genesis 1 Verse 1 and following is a polemic, uh, an argument, strongly worded argument, countering another perspective that any perspective that views creation not having its source in God needs to be countered. It needs to be understood differently. Genesis 1, uh, Genesis chapter 1 is a polemic against that sort of teaching. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 18, is also a polemic. What kind of polemic might it be? Well, first of all, John's gospel is the latest gospel. It's the one that came out, sort of was released. It had the latest release date of all the four gospels that we have. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So by that time, the time that John shares his gospel, there's a number of people in the church who've done some thinking about who Jesus is. And one of the things that they are saying historically about Jesus at that time is what his identity is. They are saying things like, he was just a man. This idea of Jesus being God would be taught at that time. There were people saying it. Why? Because they'd seen him. I mean, look at, look at me, right? You're going to look at me and you're going to say, he's just a man. I can claim anything else. Look at the person beside you. They are just a man or just a woman or just a child. They are not God. How do you know that? Because you've seen them pick their nose before. 
you know that their humanity is a very real thing. And the Jews of Jesus' day, of Jesus' time, saw him walking. They saw the dirt and the filth on his feet. They heard him cry out on the cross in his crucifixion. And so they would think, wait, that's not God, because he's just like me. I know I'm just a man or just a woman, So how can he make the claims that he has made? These Jews were trying to figure out who Jesus was. And in many ways, because the gospel is so new, they're messing it up. They haven't quite got it. And John chapter 1, 1 through 18 is a polemic countering certain teachings about who Jesus was. And the first and foremost teaching that it's countering is that Jesus is not God. So we hear these words from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's an argument that makes it clear to the Jews and to all, this man was not just a man. He was God. Fully and completely God. In all of his fullness. Now for the Jews, especially those Jews who knew the stories of the Old Testament, they would approach this thinking about Jesus with a certain perspective. God had been in the Old Testament unknowable, right? God had been all-powerful, but he'd been distant. They, they couldn't walk and talk with him. They couldn't go up to, to, to God and pat him on the shoulder. They couldn't get an embrace from God in the same way that they experienced in the incarnation, God becoming flesh in Jesus. So they had all these Old Testament understandings of who God was in all of his majesty, all of his power, all of his glory, all of his mystery, and now suddenly they're confronted with a human who is fully man and yet fully God. He's on earth now. You can touch him. And he looks just like you. How do you understand that? As a Jew, how do you think about that? I mean, if we were to just... Uh, we look at a man. We look at a person. Mark, Mark, stand up. Just stand up for a second. I love picking on Mark. He loves this. This is his favorite thing in the whole world. It's not unrealistic that Jesus looked just like Mark. Probably darker skin. Probably a little shorter. Maybe a a bigger nose, maybe a smaller nose. But if we look at a person like Mark, we say, Mark is Mark. I would say Mark is just Mark. We would never look at him and say, boy, that person is God-like. Maybe Jill would. But we wouldn't. People had to do this with Jesus. Thank you, Mark. 
people had to look at a man in human form. One that they had even seen as a child growing up. Imagine one of these little boys up here. That small. That little. With that much energy. By the way, the DeWeird boy pulled out a whole bunch of the carpet stuff up here. That was pretty good. Nice job. I love it. Doing things like that. But he's God. He's God. So you can see the issue. The challenge for Jews of the day. Hearing about Jesus as God. He is a man. He's a boy. He become a man. We've seen him. We know him. We know what his breath smells like. How can we believe that he's God? It's a challenge. Now we have a different challenge. Let's skip two points ahead. The next one is, I'll give you the blank because I know you get bummed if you don't get it. He's eternal and is God and that makes it more complicated. But we have a different challenge. We've never, quote unquote, seen Jesus, have we? Uh, We've seen him. We've seen his power. We may have seen his activity. We certainly, hopefully, have seen his activity in our life. We've seen his grace. We've seen his love. But in many ways, for us, God is a distant God. And by distant, I don't mean that he is not close to us, but he is not like Mark standing right there. He's not the physicalness presence, the physical presence that we can then say, oh, he's also then human. Our challenge is from the other perspective. We know God's deity, don't we? We know that God is God. But the struggle that we face is that God became flesh in Jesus Christ. A real human being. 100% human. Anyone, by the way, who ever tells you that the division in Jesus is 50% God, 50% human, they're dead wrong. It's 100% God and 100% human. And I know that mathematics don't work, but God is a mystery. He is fully God and fully man. And for us, the challenge becomes that he was fully man in Jesus Christ. We don't struggle with his deity as much as his humanity. We didn't see him eat. We didn't see him walk. We didn't see him talk. The reality of Christ's humanity and his deity are still somewhat abstract. Now let me tell you where this leads us sometimes. We can say in our minds, oh, he was a man just like us. He knows our struggles. He knows our burdens. He knows our challenges. But you know what? Because we haven't seen Jesus as a human, we don't necessarily always believe that. He's God. He's unknowable. He's powerful. He's glorious. He he doesn't understand my experience. It's not the same he, does, he doesn't know the sort of struggles. Oh, he may know it in his brain, but he doesn't understand in the same way because he's never, well, he has been here, but yeah, it's, it's a struggle for us to understand that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Our compulsion then can be to step into God's place. He doesn't really get it. This situation is different. 
it's a different time than it was during Jesus' day. All of this, all of these sorts of questions, all of these sorts of statements are right in that realm of who Jesus is. God, man, fully divine, fully human. That's where a lot of these sorts of things come from. And because we can feel that tension that God doesn't fully understand our experience, we end up sometimes playing a game. I know I play the game. I play the game, who's a doofus? And it's this easy, fun game that I play. And I especially play it when I watch the news. Who's a doofus? Donald Trump is a doofus. Hillary Clinton is a doofus. President Obama is a doofus. At different times, I play the game in a different way. I can make judgments about you, you're a doofus. In different ways because of the sorts of activities that you are involved in in your life. The sort of things that I discover. The sort of, and I, my brain, because I think that God doesn't understand and that I am God. I have God-like attributes because God, God doesn't understand this situation now. I make those sorts of statements and I can make judgments about people. I do it all the time. I've told you, staters is a dangerous place to play the I'm a doofus game. You can do it very easily. I'll, I'll tell you, even a harder one. Yesterday, my wife and I and our three children went to Pasadena to go to see the Rose Bowl floats. We did that about 12 or 13 years ago when, uh, when our kids were very young, and we had a wonderful time then. It was a great time walking around seeing all these incredible, artistic, beautiful, creative floats. But the last time that we were there, there were maybe about 20,000 people there. Yesterday, there were 500 million. <laughs> and I played the, I'm a, you're a doofus game, not I'm a doofus. <laughs> That's for you, Mark. The, you're a doofus game the whole time. I played God. You're, you cut me off. You don't know how to parent your kids. You, things you say. I actually saw one of the guards uh, at one of the fences take a 50 from a guy and let 15 people in. That guy's a doofus. That's illegal. Shouldn't be doing that. We play this game because we don't think that God sees all in the same way that we do. Our human experience is different than his and we try to take on his attributes and make his sorts of judgments. I don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about the people that I'm claiming that they are doofuses. And I, my guess is that every single one of you could look at me and make that claim. You could look at me at certain times, maybe all the time, and say, there's a doofus. There's a doofus. We make those judgments because we begin to play God because God isn't doing it right. He's distant, not here. He's not in our place. We have to take on his responsibility. Certainly there's a huge danger there. 
As we look back at the text of John 1 and especially John 17, we see how the Jews began to navigate the challenges of discovering more about who Jesus was and the implications for their lives. For the people of Jesus' day, his humanity gives them an indescribable gift. God became flesh and dwelt among them, so God does understand. The God that for them had been unknowable, distant, glorious, all-powerful, was now here with them, and for them that becomes a gift, a gift of understanding, a gift of knowing, a gift of relationship that is personal and intimate. The disciples slept around the campfire with Jesus. They talked with him. They heard him laugh. They saw his tears. They experienced closeness with him. And for the disciples to grasp that idea, for the followers of Jesus to grasp that idea that this man that we were with for all this time was truly God, changes their relationship with him. Christ had been here. He lived. It changes things. But the truth is though, and John 1 teaches us that, In the flesh of him coming to earth, he didn't give up his participation in the Trinity. He was still God. What does John 1 verse 1 say? The word was God. Jesus was God. Logos is the word, the Greek word for word. And that word shows up over and over again, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And every time you see it, you have to wonder, is God, is the word speaking about who Jesus is? And here, yes, it is. Jesus was God. But think about this. So if Jesus was God and he has this prayer from John 17 that says this, is in verses 22 and 23. It says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So God is God. What is it? God is God. We are not, and that is good. But since God is God and he wants to be one with his people, it means that we are participating in God's presence in all of our lives. Wherever you go, if you know the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, God goes with you. Doesn't that sound like a better way to live? You're wondering where God is. You're wondering where God is in the violence of this world. You're wondering where God is in some of the challenges in the political dialogue, the racial dialogue, the sexual dialogue that we face. Go. You go. Participate in them in a godly way. And you know because God is in you that God's there. God has said, I am in you now through the Holy Spirit. He says it to the Jews. He says it to us. And since he wants to be united with us, where we go, he goes. When we speak, he forms words. When we pray for his transformation, he sends us. Why? Because when he sends us, that means he's going. This changes how we understand our day. 
You want God to go to parts of San Bernardino that are hurting and broken? You want God to go into your business and transform it? You want God to be in your neighborhood? You want God to be in your family? You want God to be in your marriage? Show up. Show up and be present knowing that where you go, Christ is united with you just as he is united with God and he brings himself into every situation and says, I am here. Now for us, we hear this from the other side. The God that you and I worship, who is glorious and we feel his presence in worship and in the singing and in prayer times and a different experience in life, but he's also someone who is flesh. He's real in his flesh. The spirit you feel and the transformation you experience, he's like you in his humanity. And that God wants to be one with you too. He knows you and I because he's like us. He's like us completely, 100%. Every and any experience that you and I go through, Christ understands in his flesh fully and completely. There is never a place where you and I can say, God can't understand this. God can't know this. He is like us in every way. And you can trust in that. You and I are not God. But he is. And we're united with him in the spirit. It means that we can trust him in everything. In everything. In everything. I'm going to say that a bunch of times because you and I need to hear it. Here's what I mean. Oftentimes, we think things like, um, well, think about your family. Let's say you just spent a lot of time, hopefully, with your family over Christmas vacation and the, and the Christmas season. How many of you have perfect ideal families? Whatever, right? We know. They're all messed up. And maybe you're the messed up part. I don't know. I know I am. I'm the messed up part of my family. And I, I, I look at my family, and there's sometimes, I, I have some family members that I look at sometimes, and I go, they are gone. They are beyond help. They are so off the deep end. I have, I have one cousin, unfortunately. She just posed for a bathing suit calendar in front of a medical evac helicopter. I'm not really sure how that all works. It's really strange and bizarre and weird. But I look at that and I think, boy, that girl is gone. Christ understands. Christ understands her. Christ is working in her. Christ calls me to be in relationship with her so that he becomes present with her. It's not too far gone. Nothing's too far gone. Let's make it bigger. The dialogue that we will continue to have in our culture about homosexuality. How many of you think that that is too far gone sometimes? Guess what? It ain't. Why? Because Christ is at work in, uh, in it. And guess what? He's God. You're not. That's good. He's still at work doing his work of transformation in the people in the homosexual community. Yes. And in us. 
Because we don't understand it always. And we don't do it right always. We mess it up a lot of times. But he's God. He's in control. And he's united with us and says, go and be me to the world around you. We know our racial issues, correct? We have problems and issues and challenges. And we look at things like what happened in Missouri and Chicago and New York City and all over this country. And we look at those issues and we think, how can these get fixed? There are so many times in the last six weeks that I have thought, I don't understand how this can work. Thank goodness I'm not God. He is. I'm not. That's good. He's at work, present and active in these things. And he calls me to go and be a part. Be a part of having conversations with people who are unlike me in their race. Having conversations with people who are unlike me in their culture, their background, and their language. Why? Because he is united with me in Jesus Christ. And where I go, he goes, and God shows up, and transformation happens. All of these things that we look at the big issues of our world for us to remember. He is God. And we're not. He simply unites himself with us and says, go. I, I'm fully God. And I'm fully like you. And I will speak in a language that you understand I will work in ways that you can see and are tangible because I know how the world works. I've been here. I've been here from the dawn of creation for all time. And for a short time, I came uniquely in flesh that the world might experience my presence in a unique fashion. I know this world. It's mine. Trust me with it and be at work with me in it. And things will be transformed. Not fully and completely yet. Someday the trumpet sounds and all transformation is completed. But until then, he calls you and I participate with me. Because I'm with you. And I know you. And you can know me because I am like you in my flesh. Let's work through the leading of my Holy Spirit to see this world changed. Would you pray with me? Living God, hope of the world in Jesus Christ. You are fully God, fully man. You are united, not only with the Father in the unique relationship of the Trinity, but with us too through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have equipped us and transformed us to live in this world and be you in it, to bring your transformation and your wholeness. Lord, may we pursue the better way of trusting that you are with us and that we can go into the challenge Challenging dark places, that we can go into the difficult relationships, that we can trust, Lord, that you will work through us if we live in that place of faith, love, and grace. You will go with us. You promised you would. And we have to trust, Lord, that you are God, and since you are God and you go with us, you're going to lead in your way and not ours. We don't want to be those people, Father, who have our plans, our agenda, and try to impose it. We want to be people who have your plans, your purpose. Lord, may we submit to it wherever it is that you need us. And when you call us, we'll go. And when we go, you come. You do your work of transformation and the world changes. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.